from Podcast One. Coming up in this episode of Target USA. Have you ever heard of the Dossier Center? It's an investigative group operating somewhere in Europe that's run by Mikhail Khodorkovsky. He was Russia's richest man until Russian President Vladimir Putin threw him in jail and took over his Yukos oil company. But since last November, his outlet, the Dossier Center, which specializes in investigating and exposing what it calls Russian corruption, has dropped a growing number of exposés about a group of the most highly placed Russians closest to Vladimir Putin. On this episode of Target USA, we're talking with one of the members of that super secret group. I cannot say a lot just due to security reasons. We are small. Uh, it's it's collection of young people with extremely good education, uh, abstract thinking. We have you know, a number of people with doctor degrees uh, from different universities, you know, like data scientists. But most of they have enormous passion and dedication for the work they are doing. And they assume all the risks of such activity. And the risks are great. We'll talk about it on this edition of Target USA. The National Security Podcast. From WTOP in Washington, D.C., this is Target USA. Russia could render huge harm to this country. North Korea's secret missile. Capable of reaching the whole of the United States. Dangerous terrorist. D.C. is repeatedly mentioned as someplace they would like to seek an attack. Cyber criminals. Decryption successful. America has a target on its back. And on this program, we investigate the threats, the people behind them, the agencies fighting them, and the impact on you. This is Target USA, the National Security Podcast. I'm J.J. Green. Have you heard about the Dossier Center and Bellingcat? They are two of the preeminent online investigative journalism groups in the world. The work organizations like them do is extremely important because they have the toughest jobs in journalism and are under attack in more than 100 countries around the world. There are legal threats, physical threats, cyber threats, particularly against women. Investigative journalists were being harassed online. The reason we're looking at this issue is because the threats against journalism and journalists, even here in the U.S., are increasing to the point where many of us are taking extra security precautions to protect ourselves during the daily execution of our jobs. And Dossier Center is on the front lines of that situation. That's an investigative group operating somewhere in Europe, run by Mikhail Khodorkovsky. He was Russia's richest man until at one point, Russian President Vladimir Putin threw him in prison, took over his Yukos oil company, and profited significantly because of it. Since last November, his outlet, the Dossier Center, which specializes in investigating and exposing what it calls Russian corruption, has dropped a growing number of exposés about a group of the most highly placed Russians close to Vladimir Putin. They've seen their secrets trickling out onto the Internet. On this program, we're going to talk with a member of the Dossier team about their work and how they do it. But first, we're going to talk with David Kaplan. He's the executive director of the Global Investigative Journalism Network. And he's going to tell us why what they do is important and how they get trained to do it. 
Well, uh, GIJN acts as the global hub for the world's investigative journalists. We we have uh, about 180 member organizations in in 77 countries, and uh, you know we, we we like to talk about investigative journalists as being the the special forces of journalism. Uh, these are the best trained reporters. They're the ones who go after the toughest targets, and they often use the most sophisticated tools, uh, satellite imagery, uh, data analysis, uh, long-term in-depth uh, reporting with, with you know, more than 100 sources for, for, for a single story. These people have the toughest jobs in, in journalism, and they're paying for it. We, we are under attack in more than 100 countries around the world. Uh, there, there are legal threats, uh, there's physical threats, uh, cyber threats, particularly women investigative journalists are being harassed online in uh, uh, pretty horrible ways. There have been many female journalists that have been attacked. The most famous case at this point is Maria Ressa, who was featured on 60 Minutes not too long ago. She runs the online site Rappler in the Philippines, and she gave the keynote at the Global Investigative Journalist Network conference. The new attacks are personal, they are visceral. I was gonna show you some of them, but my team said, stop. I wanted to show you slides. There's some that are so creative, um, very sexual, but essentially what happens is lies laced with anger and hate spread faster than facts. When Ressa said during her speech, it's not just females that are under attack. This really hit me last December when Time Magazine named me one of the guardians of truth. At that point in time, I realized that among the journalists who were killed in the Capital Gazette, the Reuters journalists, who at that point were still in prison, Jamal Khashoggi, the most brutal murder that we that shook all of us, right? Among the four, those four guardians of truth, I was the only one who was both alive and free. And because of the brave journalists who've risked their lives and in some cases lost them to tell important stories, the backlash against them has grown. And that's why it's important to have organizations like Bellingcat, like the Dossier Center, telling those stories to a greater audience. But it's also just as, if not more important, to have organizations like the Global Investigative Journalist Network to show them how to do it and how to protect themselves. GIJN works to build the infrastructure to help in-depth watchdog journalism around the world. And and you can see the impact uh, in the remarkable work that's being done. You know, we, we have world-class investigative reporting being done today in places like Brazil and, and, and India and, and, and South Africa. Uh, the, what, what began really with, with American muckrakers more than a century ago uh, has spread worldwide. And, and because of the internet, because of, of mobile phones, because of the, the, the tech revolution, uh, we have more journalists in more places doing better stories with better tools than, than ever before. And that's despite all the challenges we face. There is a, such a thing as a citizen journalist or a citizen investigator, and there are those who work for accredited media. So I need to figure out how you differentiate or do you? 
there aren't a lot of full-time investigative journalists around the world. You know, our, our, our numbers can be measured in, in hundreds or low thousands. Uh, but, you know, lots of good journalism involves a watchdog and investigative techniques. So what, what we teach, you know, our, it, it's applicable to to beat reporters, to uh, uh, documentary makers, to book authors, uh, freelancers, uh, and to citizen journalists, people who want to know, you know, who's polluting their neighborhood or, or, or uh, how much money their politicians are, are taking from moneyed interests. Uh, so we, we actually have a whole program for citizen investigators, we call them, and it, it's, it's, it's quite popular. David, give us a sense of some of those tools that these journalists around the world are using. The tools that that investigative journalists use really have changed. You know, it was it was investigative reporters in the the 70s and 80s who began tinkering around with uh, IBM mainframe computers and and using you know what they then called computer assisted reporting. To, to figure out uh, trends in in data, uh, this is now mushroomed into what we call data journalism, and it's become quite sophisticated. Uh, we have journalists doing essentially social science work, doing uh, uh, analyses and 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 uh, uh, and visualizations of massive amounts uh, of data. And you can see this in in recent reports on on how how guns are used in American society and and our our, our crime rates uh, uh, in uh, uh, in how communications are used and and who's spying on on whom. Um, uh, other tools include satellite imagery, uh, the the use of sensors, uh, uh, forensic analysis of of video. There's there's a whole list of tech tools that. Uh, uh, you know, we we do trainings on uh, that. You know, it's really uh, journalism 202. This is the advanced stuff, and it's 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 becoming uh, pretty routine in the field now. You know, you talked about be, some journalists being, you know, under fire right now through various means. So, do you teach journalists how to deal with uh, those kinds of of risk and attacks like that? Uh, we sure do. So safety and security have really risen to the top among among areas that that our our community is concerned with. Uh, I think we had a a head start uh, with the the tech and information revolutions and and uh, uh, you know figuring out how to collaborate across borders, uh, figuring out how to um, uh, do data analysis and and uh, uh, and communicate effectively with our colleagues uh, around the world. You know, the the bad guys went international a long time ago, and the the good guys are finally catching up and figuring out how to how to share stories and collaborate and 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 work across. Uh, across borders. We were being followed and being filmed by someone surreptitiously uh, standing in the uh, hotel lobby with my colleagues standing outside the airport. And so that is unnerving. Target USA talked with CNN chief international correspondent Clarissa Ward about a troubling incident in the Central African Republic as they were on the trail of what's known as Putin's army, the Wagner Group. Three Russian journalists were actually killed 
while they were working on a story about Russian mercenary activity in the country. And after being followed and harassed, Ward and her crew knew that this was a serious situation. Our security guys stayed up throughout the night watching the gate of this tiny motel that we were staying in. You know, if they're getting this nervous, then obviously we're hitting a nerve. You know, the kleptocrats, the the, the, the dictators, the, the, the autocrats have caught up. And there's, there's a whole new generation of technology that's being used to spy on, uh, on journalists. You know, your, your cell phone becomes a, a walking, eavesdropping device on you, even when it's off. Uh, your, your email gets gets uh, hacked into, and 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 all of your files can be stolen. Unlike the the old days of of analog technology, where you know you can only wiretap one person at a time. Uh, you grab someone's Facebook or, or LinkedIn account, you got their whole network of contacts. So it's it's really an order of magnitude uh, uh, greater the, the 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 vulnerabilities out there. Fortunately, there's you know it's it's an arms race in technology, and the uh, you know investigative journalists, journalists in general, uh, are catching up and figuring out how to encrypt their email. Uh, how to use safer communication devices, uh, how to securely collaborate with their colleagues around the world. We're, we're getting better at that. We need to get better still because a lot of people don't take it seriously enough. Uh, but if if you're going to protect your sources and indeed protect yourself, you've got to take this very seriously. And considering how much we've learned about the focus on U.S. activities by the U.S.'s adversaries and, of course, the U.S.'s friends from an espionage and spying point of view, um, there's quite a bit of evidence here that um, some of it may be working. Um, There may be some folks here in the U.S. who may be complicit with some of these organizations in in foreign countries. So um, I wanted to hear from you about the importance of the work, the investigative work here in the U.S. itself. You've hit on a really key point. Uh, you know, we're living in an age of disinformation, and and, and a, a a democracy to, to be healthy, to to thrive, needs an agreed upon set of facts. But we we need to agree on what what reality is, and it's it's astounding to me that that uh, uh, people are challenging. Um, uh, what is quality journalism based on pretty rigorous fact-finding. You know, investigative journalism at its best utilizes the scientific method. Uh, you, you, you create a hypothesis and then you test it. And if you don't have the facts to support your thesis, you have to abandon it. And otherwise, you're going to get sued or, or there'll be, you'll lose your job. I mean, there are real consequences uh, in, among professionals for getting this, this stuff wrong. Right now, we're being assaulted by a blizzard of disinformation, and, and you can see it uh, you could you could have seen it coming from uh, you know we have members in, in in places like Latvia and and Ukraine and they, and and uh, in, in developing countries these journalists have been dealing with with floods of disinformation uh, for years and now in the last five years we've seen it come to to our shores to to the point where uh, it's influencing our politics this is pretty alarming. 
That's David Kaplan, executive director of the Global Investigative Journalist Network. As we told you in our introduction, there are numerous organizations that are involved in online investigations. There is one group, however, somewhere in Europe called the Dossier Center that are a perfect example of the power of online investigations. Here's what they've done recently. Emails belonging to a Russian interior ministry official were published online in April, and it happened again a bit later in May. They got details about a former Kremlin chief of staff's American energy investment. They were exposed by Britain's Guardian newspaper. Then there was Natalia Veselnitskaya, the Russian lawyer who met with President Donald Trump's son during the presidential campaign, and her ties to senior Russian government officials were exposed. Now, we'll turn to the Dossier Center and one of their associates whom we'll only identify as Chris for his security. Okay, Chris, thank you for um, agreeing to do this. For many months, I have watched the work that uh, the Dossier Center has done, and this is really amazing, remarkable work that you've been able to put together to get so deeply into uh, information regarding the uh, the Kremlin and uh, Vladimir Putin and his the people that work with him, uh, Yevgeny Prigozhin and many others, the GRU and um, you know uh, uh, some of the uh, you know the SVR and the other FSB, the other elements of Russian intelligence. So I, I wanted to f- find out first what is the the objective of your work. Yeah, thank you for having me, and thank you for a nice, nice, nice description. Uh, our main interest of is you know a little bit background story to to understand Russia after the collapse of USSR. Russian government and the law enforcement they they became really highly corrupt, as probably in in all the East Europe and or any developing country. So. Uh, now, listeners, they have to understand that for 70 years, Russia was close to the global markets and they had no possibilities of use, you know, uh, you know, the, the benefits. So when it all collapsed, so it was uh, just a free, non-regulated market, which I would say, you know, uh, we Western businesses, we sort of facilitated to get them corrupt ourselves. I mean... So uh, later on, this all the you know uh, it's it, it's been interlinked. That the FSB, KGB, they were able to establish themselves into the bigger businesses because they had more connections, or on some occasions they were using uh, some party uh, money, uh, and finally we you know, Russia they they. <laughs> elected the ex-KGB guy to the president. So now we we have, let's say, we are interested in uh, in the inner Kremlin circle, which we believe uh, those people who directly orchestrate and benefit from most of the corruption. So we take interest in their criminal activities of that kind. There are a lot from financial crimes, bribing Western lawmakers, Western businesses, money laundering, interfering into other countries, or violating human rights. 
in, uh, of people in and outside Russia. So our list is long. So we so-called on our radar list, we have more than 4,000 Russian individuals and entities. And our activities is not just report as you and media does, but we try, we think they deserve much more legal recognition than they currently uh, are getting. So we want to enforce different jurisdictions to respond to you know, their criminal acts and try to restore even a small fraction of justice. Mm -hmm. uh, in other terms, we don't want to let them feel free and comfortable with a different jurisdiction to the hope that, that no one would be investigating that. Mm -hmm. Chris, could you do me a favor uh, very quickly? You mentioned uh, clarify something for me. You said something regarding you have 4,000 Russian entities. Could you explain uh, how that works or, or who they are or, or what they're what what does this mean? It's it's been if we would take uh, 20 people close to Putin mm -hmm. and they are sort of, uh, you know, power players in the, in the Kremlin. So every one of them, they have, an, or their families or themselves, they have a number of businesses. Mm -hmm. So the affiliated companies, the companies or people that just nominal CEOs of uh, different companies, you know, uh, so all this all together, uh, it's about 4,000 entities. Okay. Which we are looking into and and sort of uh, tracking them if if they are signing a new contract, how they are moving or may moving their assets in different jurisdictions, or they winning some you know some some mm -hmm. some public procurements. So, can you explain for us how your organization runs? Who runs your organization? Who owns it? And just what what the what the setup of the dossier center is. It's, you know, I cannot say a lot just due to security reasons. We are small. Uh, it's it's collection of young people with extremely good education, uh, abstract thinking. We have, you know, a number of people with doctor degrees uh, from different universities, you know, like data scientists. But most of they have enormous passion and dedication for the work they are doing. Mm -hmm. And they assume all the risks uh -huh. um, of such activity they, they, they could, could get. Yeah. I mean, this is amazing that you do this kind of work and you do it so well. Um, so um, now this center is connected with Mikhail Korlakovsky. Is that correct or am I wrong about that? Yes, that's, that's correct. He is financing okay. the center and the activity. Um, how do you determine what you're going to do, who you're going to look at, what your resources you're going to, how, how do you determine what your next assignment or your next approach is? Um, normally we were, we are looking into a field. I mean, that each country, they have a social field, they have industrial fields that are overtaken by Kremlin and you know, all the big businesses, they have uh, very tight links to uh, to Kremlin powers because it's you know they 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 control them because they don't want to have some free business that would be quite large enough to to at to, to at some moment would be you know they they would be using to oppose the current powers, which actually happened with Khodorkovsky. Then he decided to 
show at, at that time certain level of corruption. So he been simply kicked out. Mm-hmm. And because his company, one of the, at that time, one of the biggest oil companies being seized by, by, by Kremlin. Yeah, Yukos. I remember that in 2005. Yes. They know what you're doing. They, they know about your work. Do you ever get uh, threats or, um, or, or problems from them? Yes, so we do. Uh, some of our colleagues were investigating in, in, you know, in Africa, precaution activity. And sadly, they were murdered. So we, we, we last year, we spent almost a year investigating that murder, which clearly shown that uh, Prigozhin's private military was involved into, into uh, assassination and the local CR government policemen were tracking the journalist and till now, no official investigations being done or reported to, you know, it, it's, I mean, we do not have a hope that either Russia or CR would investigate themselves. Have you personally seen any situations where your life or your, your, your safety has been threatened? No, I mean, to, to the extent we try to be careful. Mm-hmm. So this is, we do understand that, uh, being careful and being precise uh, it's just the best thing to yeah to to be safe. Well, they have great resources. Um, um, the uh, Russian intelligence. Um, do you believe that there is a specific part of the Russian intelligence that has been after you? Uh, was it the G- the GRU, the FSB, or is it some other entity that has been um, that is is a threat to you and your your colleagues? It's you, you, you see the the Russians, they, they now learn to use and they tend to use the so-called hybrid warfare that one of which Putin is very proud of. Mm-hmm. So they outsourcing a lot of activities on, you know, the security issues, uh, intelligence gathering to the private companies. Mm-hmm. So, uh, it's always, you know, you, you never, you, if state will chase after you. So uh, you cannot, you know, be safe one hundred percent, and probably they will win at, at at the very end. But nevertheless, you know, the publicity as much as more you go public and revealing the facts, so it's more difficult for them mm-hmm. uh, to do to do anything. However, you know, those red lines are pushed. It is so they they outsourcing a lot of. Put that way, if they want to achieve results, so they are simultaneously trying to get not just using a governmental uh, entities, but uh, asking their controlled businesses to find more problem. I mean, more easier way or more, uh, let's say, more inventious way or new forms. And because they do understand to some extent specifically, uh, you know, the governments itself, they are outdated and a little bit rudimental by bureaucracies and by regulations, which have been created, created in 80s, 90s. And the business, they took opportunities, in my understanding, to utilize all the globalization benefits. So 
we see that Russians, they do understand. So that's why they simply asking, you know, Deripaska or Prigozhin, you know, could you, you know, try to do that? Or, yeah. And they contracting some more naive Western or East Western companies and those East Western companies uh, mm-hmm. trying to achieve some, some, some real results like, you know, to, to some extent, Cambridge Analytic. Yeah. Can you tell me, um, what have you learned about Putin and about the people that are in his inner circle that, you know, we in the West may not know about, we in the U.S. rather may not know about, uh, may, um, not, may not understand? What's the most important thing that you, or things, that you've learned through your investigations of the Kremlin and Putin and his 20 people and, you know, by extension, the 4,000 entities. What are those things? Two contradicting things, I would say. Well, first, that they um, uh, put that way, that their advantages are that they are very fast. So for the West, it took years to understand who is Putin and to know, to, to think that, look, maybe this is a mistake. We have to say, you know, you're a bad boy. Don't do this. Uh, and we still believe that there is a sort of unwritten set of rules of a Cold War. But it's completely different. So because of there is no uh, balance of powers, they they uh, they are taking decisions really fast, and they try to implement. So that question comes to implementation. It's bad. <laughs> Almost always, it's bad. Mm. But us, they do in a parallel ways, and now we see a trend to engage uh, Western individuals and companies to achieve the results that the inherited precision and you know to do things good. So. We likely their results will be much better. Mm-hmm. So this is one has to to understand and interferences, because the problem is not leaders of the countries, no, like like Britain, but the uh, leaderships, the people who brought the leaders into the positions, mm-hmm. second donors. Mm-hmm. And um, businesses who support that, because it always has to be a reason. Mm-hmm. So look, and some of the politicians look like Von Meyer from German ultra right party, which being supported by Russians, they, he asked money for Russians, and he made on all the social media, you know, <laughs> pictures of himself in Russia. So yeah. one has to to investigate, to look, to monitor all those things, and. And uh, I warn the current powers of, I mean, governments that it could be a, a little bit dangerous to have biases or too much friendships. Also, when you, we, you know, look how much he was or his allies were flying to Russia. You're talking about the uh, Salvini? Italian. Yeah. 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 yeah so... I want to ask you this question then, have, is it Russian money, dirty money from essentially the Kremlin that has infected these Western governments? It does because it's weaknesses. Mm -hmm. It's, uh, they have, you know, in comparison, high resources. There is a high level of corruption 
So we learned that Russians, they spent in restaurants, leaving tips and, and all that wealth. And they learned that uh, we agreed to some extent and, and we sometimes uh, find to cross our you know moral red lines. Mm-hmm. So um, we've been interviewing, I, I don't want to say which of the CEOs, uh, which been under scrutiny of the, its, its government. So that company is a big company and they have assets in, in Russia. Mm-hmm. So, and it's been uh, investigation on, 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 because we were bribing Russian government. Not because they wanted, but because Russians requested. If you want to have the, uh, the presence in Russia, you have to pay money. So these guys said that they have calculated that it's to be to be catch under improper, you know, bribing is twenty twenty five percent of risk, while profit is much. You know, it's enormous. Even taking account that if you will be catch, you will be you have to pay a fine. So we considerably. We're going into this avenue of crime because of the profit. So, you know, media became strange thing because everyone can be media. So people tired of understanding who's good, who's bad, who's right, who's lying, who's not. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the whole class exploiting that. Yeah. So, uh, Chris, um some of the other questions I wanted to ask you, um, what are your most important projects that you've done so far and, and what are you what are you looking to do next? Let's just go with the first question first. What are your most important projects and what have you found in those projects so far? To, to the high scale of you know, corruption, it's, 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 it's one of the main key elements what they... Uh, they're using it's the money they stole. So we found, you know, we found the Selnitska involvement. She's now indicted. I think of the two counts of. Uh, don't remember exactly the indicted how. here in the in the West, the U.S. In the United States, yes, yes. 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 Yeah, we uh, disclosed a full scope of prevention in Africa. And I mean, it's Prigozhin, it's Wagner, but actually it's uh, Russian government. Uh, mm-hmm. We see attempts of getting uh, their hands into India and Pakistan. We see if they're flirting with China. Uh, now, currently, we are about to release a big investigation on FSB because we see that FSB has to control this corruption and they became a corrupt themselves even to the, you know, to the highest extent. It's like a state within a state. You were talking about Prigozhin and the activity in Africa, and you mentioned a little earlier in this interview about your friends that were killed, your colleagues that were killed in Africa. Um, what did you learn about who did it and how they did it? We learned that that they've been trapped. It's been pre- premeditated a murder because it's it's been involved by a local enforcement, and they were trying to hide, you know, to to have the burner phones. They were tracking the victims, 
the driver was reporting every hour to to the people who had the surveillance. And we see how we see the, the number, number of evidence that Prigozhin people might be behind, or at least we assume that they are behind of the assassination. Because first, uh, they uh, proposed uh, a fixer, which was a mysterious one, uh, you know, just actually he never existed. It was just a fixer which had WhatsApp account. And mm-hmm. they were trapped and, and killed. And then precaution people next day were inventing to what to say, how to explain to media how they, where they died. So and they invented the story about unknown group of uh, terrorists that they just wanted to rub them. And, and then Kremlin just like a parrot repeated after that, the story how they were created and fixing next morning. Mm-hmm. How did, so, how did you find out this information? I want to talk to you as well about some of your skills, if you can. But you seem to be very good at finding material and intelligence and information that no one else can get. How did you find out this information, and how do you go about that? Is that the the data science skills that you guys have, or is, are there others that you... How do you do that? I don't want to get deep into that, but it's it's most of information is on open sources. Mm-hmm. Some of uh, information, and specifically on, on this Brigazian Africa thing, we had people after, you know, after assassination and our preliminary report, they started to send and to talk and some insiders, they shared, you know, some of the materials. Mm-hmm. Do you have, it seems as though you have people from inside Russia that communicate with you. Yes. So why do they do that? Do you, are, tell, are these people uh, upset, concerned, worried um, about the, the, the direction the country's taken? Or why do they help you, do you think? It's, yeah, it's, it's simply they, some of them, they are tired of what's happening. Or they, some of them, they became a victims of the system. Uh, some of them, they just were friends of the, in this case, of, 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 you know, of journalists that being killed. And, you know, it's, it's different motivations, but they more easy provide information to Russians than to, to someone else. Mm-hmm. This is again because of the language, probably trust. It's a very, you know, uh, and some of them because they like Khodorkovsky. But yeah. most, a lot of people, they want to have a changes because it's it's really the government lives its own life and all dimension, or their own dimension. Uh, other people, they they live in completely different dimension. Those dimensions, they are not interfere at all. Mm-hmm. Do you find yourself in situations where you purchase or, or have to buy information? Yes, we buy databases on a regular basis. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, probably we have the biggest database of, of of Russian companies, you know, and all other things like taxis, mm-hmm. trips, and so, so on. It's all all so some people they proposing us to buy information, mm-hmm. and some of them asking you know, enormous money, you know, like a half a million. So right. it's, 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 it's a lot of fun. 
but at the end, most of them, they give for free. Yeah. And they because you are explaining that, you know, what you could do with that information. <laughs> yes. Yeah. It's for article for justice. So they, most of them, they take these arguments. Is there something that you want to talk about that you think is important that I haven't asked you about today? I think that it's important to, for me to understand and for you and for, you know, that, 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 you know, the in intelligence or counterintelligence would say, uh, they, their rules and methods became outdated to fight with, uh, with adversaries. You mean and this is, I, and this is a big problem. You no, know, for example, as I told you last time, the FBI, you know, case that they, they live in their nineties and now we live in 2019 and bureaucracy and it has to be a new ways to approach new ways to fight and we have to match very fast approach so uh you know some cases they they simply you know uh, that is losing because we still expect them to act like in a cold war mm -hmm. and the life has changed so the 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 fbi and the u.s and I guess maybe some other countries need to uh, rethink strategies to to yeah because one has to understand business in general the big business is more advanced than the state. Mm -hmm. I'm not talking about U.S. you know which is the biggest you know, market, but if you talk about you know Denmark or you would talk uh, and. To, and you want to compare with a bigger business like Siemens, so the profits, I mean, the GDP is less than the big company. Mm -hmm. So the capacities are bigger. And they're using a different methods. The bureaucracy are much less. And approaches and methods are completely different. Mm -hmm. So I, I, I afraid that might some officers and counterintelligence world would think that, you know, we are a little bit fighting with, uh, with the mills. Yeah. I hear because you. we trapped into our own regulated, super regulated and bureaucratic systems. Um, I think this is, this really, it, this is really important. We've been talking with Chris from the Dossier Center, an online investigative journalist group that's been turning in some compelling and very interesting work that some people don't want them to share with you and me. And obviously, as you could tell, his voice was changed and it was done to protect him. We'll be talking to the Bellingcat group in the near future about some very interesting work they're involved in as well. In the meantime, this kind of journalism According to David Kaplan, executive director of the Global Investigative Journalist Network, needs my help and it needs your help as well. We need the public support, you know, to creating a, a watchdog news media, not just in the U.S., but but overseas uh, is something that that doesn't happen by itself. Uh, I think. Uh, international aid agencies, the, the, the World Bank, the United Nations, uh, USAID, they all recognize today that independent media is as important a building block 
uh, of of a, a healthy society uh, as agricultural development, industrial policy, good education, and honest judiciary. If you don't have a watchdog news media that is providing an independent lens on, on power, on, on accountability in, in a given uh, society, uh, you're going to stagnate and you're going to end up as a kleptocracy. That's what's at stake here. And that is the status of journalism today. The challenges, the objectives, and the growing risk for journalists. And how online journalism is helping us to get around it. We'll be back to that topic very soon. But coming up in our next program, you might remember earlier this year in Morocco, Agadir to be specific, we went along for the ride during African Lion 2019. My name is First Lieutenant Wilson Meyer. I am First Platoon Leader for Apache Troop 175 Cav, 2nd Brigade Combat Team, 101st Airborne Division, Air Assault. I am down here in Morocco conducting platoon live fire exercises. Just before this, my platoon was training Moroccan forces with the help of other British forces how to employ all of our uh, direct fire weapon systems. It's important that we're down here because it's showing all of my soldiers that our Moroccan forces and our allied counterparts are competent, confident, and just as lethal as we are. And coming up in our next episode, African Lion 2020. What's it going to look like? So we're going to incorporate naval forces, air forces, ground forces, special operations forces, a lot of emphasis on command and control. And the U.S. contribution to African Line 20 is going to be much larger. So the intent is to make this um, a multi-domain, complex uh, operation that allows the U.S. and our African partners to build readiness. That's Major General Roger Cloutier, the U.S. Army Africa Commanding General. And that's coming up in our next edition of Target USA. As always, thank you sincerely for taking time to listen. We appreciate anything you have to say. Send me an email. If you have a question or comment, send it to jgreen at wtop.com. That's the letter J, the color green. One word at Whiskey Tango Oscar Papa. jgreen at wtop.com. Also, follow us on Twitter at TUSA Podcast. That's at Tango Uniform Sierra Alpha podcast. And also, if you want more information about what's happening in the world of national and international security, sign up for our newsletter. It's called Inside the Skiff, and you can do it by going to WTOP.com slash alerts and sign up. Thanks again. I'm J.J. Green, and this is Target USA. The National Security Podcast. Have you guys had a chance to check out the Jordan Harbinger show? If not, you need to listen to this week's episode. Jordan sits down for an amazing interview with actor Dennis Quaid, and you don't want to miss this. So head over there to get Jordan's feed and take a listen. If you like what you hear, be sure to subscribe to the Jordan Harbinger show so you can get the new episodes every week on Apple Podcast and Podcast One. Now, stay tuned for the latest headlines from the Associated Press.